Section 34 of Self-Help. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Self-Help with Illustrations of Conduct and Perseverance by Samuel Smiles. Section 34. Character. The True Gentleman. Part 1. For who can always act, but he to whom a thousand memories call, not being less, but more than all the gentleness he seemed to be, but seemed the thing he was, and joined each office of the social hour to noble manners, as the flower and native growth of noble mind? And thus he bore without abuse the grand old name of gentleman. Tennyson Es bildet ein Talent sich in der Stille, sich ein Charakter in dem Strom der Welt. Goethe That which raises a country, that which strengthens a country, and that which dignifies a country, that which spreads her power, creates her moral influence, and makes her respected and submitted to, bends the hearts of millions, and bows down the pride of nations to her, the instrument of obedience, the fountain of supremacy, the true throne, crown, and scepter of a nation. This aristocracy is not an aristocracy of blood, not an aristocracy of fashion, not an aristocracy of talent only. It is an aristocracy of character. That is the true heraldry of man. The Times the crown and glory of life is character. It is the noblest possession of a man, constituting a rank in itself, and an estate in the general goodwill, dignifying every station and exalting every position in society. It exercises a greater power than wealth, and secures all the honor without the jealousies of fame. It carries with it an influence which always tells, for it is the result of proved honor, rectitude, and consistency, qualities which, perhaps more than any other, command a general confidence and respect of mankind. Character is human nature in its best form. It is moral order embodied in the individual. Men of character are not only the conscience of society, but in every well-governed state they are its best motive power for it is moral qualities in the main which rule the world. Even in war, Napoleon said, the moral is to the physical as ten to one. The strength, the industry, and the civilization of nations all depend upon individual character, and the very foundations of civil security rest upon it. Laws and institutions are but its outgrowth. In the just balance of nature, Individuals, nations, and races will obtain just so much as they deserve, and no more. And as effect finds its cause, so surely does quality of character amongst the people produce its benefiting results. Though a man have comparatively little culture, slender abilities, and but small wealth, yet if his character be of sterling worth, he will always command an influence 
whether it be in the workshop, the counting house, the mart, or the senate. Canning wisely wrote in 1801, quote, My road must be through character to power. I will try no other course, and I am sanguine enough to believe that this course, though not perhaps the quickest, is the surest. End quote. You may admire men of intellect, but something more is necessary before you will trust them. Hence Lord John Russell once observed in a sentence full of truth, quote, It is the nature of party in England to ask the assistance of a man of genius, but to follow the guidance of men of character. End quote. This was strikingly illustrated in the career of the late Francis Horner, a man of whom Sidney Smith said that the Ten Commandments were stamped upon his countenance. Quote, the valuable and peculiar light, says Lord Cockburn, in which his history is calculated to inspire every right-minded youth, is this. He died at the age of thirty-eight, possessed of greater public influence than any other private man, and admired, beloved, trusted, and deplored by all except the heartless or the base. No greater homage was ever paid in Parliament to any deceased member. Now let every young man ask, how was this attained? By rank? He was the son of an Edinburgh merchant. By wealth? Neither he nor any of his relations ever had a superfluous sixpence. By office? He held but one, and only for a few years, of no influence and with very little pay. By talents? His were not splendid, and he had no genius. Cautious and slow, his only ambition was to be right. By eloquence? He spoke in calm, good taste, without any of the oratory that either terrifies or seduces. By any fascination of manner? His was only correct and agreeable. By what, then, was it? Merely by sense, industry, good principles, and a good heart qualities which no well-constituted mind need ever despair of attaining. It was the force of his character that raised him, and this character not impressed upon him by nature, but formed out of no peculiarly fine elements by himself. There were many in the House of Commons of far greater ability and eloquence, but no one surpassed him in the combination of an adequate portion of these with moral worth. Horner was born to show what moderate powers, unaided by anything whatever except culture and goodness, may achieve, even when these powers are displayed amidst the competition and jealousy of public life." Franklin also attributed his success as a public man, not to his talents or his powers of speaking, for these were but moderate, but to his known integrity of character. Hence it was, he says, quote, that I had so much weight with my fellow citizens. I was but a bad speaker, never eloquent, subject to much hesitation in my choice of words, hardly correct in language, and yet I generally carried my point. End quote. Character creates confidence in men in high station as well as in humble life. It was said of the first Emperor Alexander of Russia that his personal character was equivalent to a constitution. During the wars of the Fronde, Montaigne was the only man amongst the French gentry who kept his castle gates unbarred, 
and it was said of him that his personal character was a better protection for him than a regiment of horse would have been that character is power is true in a much higher sense than that knowledge is power mind without heart intelligence without conduct cleverness without goodness are powers in their way but they may be powers only for mischief we may be instructed or amused by them but it is sometimes as difficult to admire them as it would be to admire the dexterity of a pickpocket or the horsemanship of a highwayman truthfulness integrity and goodness qualities that hang not on any man's breath form the essence of manly character or as one of our old writers has it quote, that inbred loyalty unto virtue which can serve her without a livery end quote. he who possesses these qualities united with strength of purpose carries with him a power which is irresistible he is strong to do good strong to resist evil and strong to bear up under difficulty and misfortune when stephen of colonna fell into the hands of his base assailants they asked him in derision where is now your fortress here was his bold reply placing his hand upon his heart it is in misfortune that the character of the upright man shines forth with the greatest lustre and when all else fails he takes stand upon his integrity and his courage the rules of conduct followed by lord erskine a man of sterling independence of principle and scrupulous adherence to truth are worthy to be engraven on every young man's heart Quote, it was a first command in counsel of my early youth said he always to do what my conscience told me to be a duty and to leave the consequence to god i shall carry with me the memory and i trust the practice of this parental lesson to the grave i have hitherto followed it and have no reason to complain that my obedience to it has been a temporal sacrifice i have found it on the contrary the road to prosperity and wealth and i shall point out the same path to my children for their pursuit every man is bound to aim at the possession of good character as one of the highest objects of life the very effort to secure it by worthy means will furnish him with a motive for exertion and his idea of manhood in proportion as it is elevated will steady and animate his motive it is well to have a high standard of life even though we may not be able altogether to realize it Quote, the youth says mr disraeli who does not look up will look down and the spirit that does not soar is destined perhaps to grovel End quote. George Herbert wisely writes, Pitch thy behavior low, thy projects high, so shall thou humble and magnanimous be. Sink not in spirit. Who aimeth at the sky shoots higher much than he that means a tree. He who has a high standard of living and thinking will certainly do better than he who has none at all. Quote, Pluck at a gown of gold, says the Scotch proverb, and you may get a sleeve of it. Whoever tries for the highest results cannot fail to reach a point far in advance of that from which he started, and though the end attained may fall short of that proposed, still the very effort to rise of itself cannot fail to prove permanently beneficial. There are many counterfeits of character, 
but the genuine article is difficult to be mistaken some knowing its money value would assume its disguise for the purpose of imposing upon the unwary colonel chartis said to a man distinguished for his honesty quote, i would give a thousand pounds for your good name why because i could make ten thousand by it was the knave's reply integrity in word and deed is the backbone of character and loyal adherence to veracity is its most prominent characteristic one of the finest testimonies to the character of the late sir robert peel was that borne by the duke of wellington in the house of lords a few days after that great statesman's death quote, your lordships he said must all feel the high and honourable character of the late sir robert peel i was long connected with him in public life we were both in the councils of our sovereign together and i had long the honour to enjoy his private friendship in all the course of my acquaintance with him i never knew a man in whose truth and justice i had greater confidence or in whom i saw a more invariable desire to promote the public service in the whole course of my communication with him i never knew an instance in which he did not show the strongest attachment to truth and i never saw in the whole course of my life the smallest reason for suspecting that he stated anything which he did not firmly believe to be the fact and this high-minded truthfulness of the statesman was no doubt the secret of no small part of his influence and power there is a truthfulness in action as well as in words which is essential to uprightness of character a man must really be what he seems or proposes to be when an american gentleman wrote to granville sharp that from respect for his great virtues he had named one of his sons after him sharp replied quote, i must request you to teach him a favorite maximum of the family whose name you have given him always endeavor to be really what you wish to appear this maxim as my father informed me was carefully and humbly practised by his father whose sincerity as a plain and honest man thereby became the principal feature of his character both in public and private life every man who respects himself and values the respect of others will carry out the maxim in act doing honestly what he proposes to do putting the highest character into his work scamping nothing but priding himself upon his integrity and his conscientiousness once cromwell said to bernard a clever but somewhat unscrupulous lawyer quote, i understand that you have lately been vastly wary in your conduct do not be too confident of this subtlety may deceive you integrity never will End quote. men whose acts are at direct variance with their words command no respect and what they say has but little weight even truths when uttered by them seem to come blasted from their lips the true character acts rightly whether in secret or in the sight of men that boy was well trained who when asked why he did not pocket some pears for nobody was there to see replied quote, yes there was i was there to see myself and I don't intend ever to see myself do a dishonest thing. This is a simple but not inappropriate illustration of principle or conscience dominating in the character and exercising a noble protectorate over it. 
not merely a passive influence, but an active power regulating the life. Such a principle goes on molding the character hourly and daily, growing with a force that operates every moment. Without this dominating influence, character has no protection, but is constantly liable to fall away before temptation, and every such temptation succumbed to, every act of meanness or dishonesty, however slight, causes self-degradation. It matters not whether the act be successful or not, discovered or concealed. The culprit is no longer the same, but another person, and he is pursued by a secret uneasiness, by self-reproach or the workings of what we call conscience, which is the inevitable doom of the guilty. And here it may be observed how greatly the character may be strengthened and supported by the cultivation of good habits. Man, it has been said, is a bundle of habits, and habit is second nature. Metastasio entertained so strong an opinion as to the power of repetition in act and thought that he said, quote, All is habit in mankind, even virtue itself. End quote. Butler, in his analogy, impresses the importance of careful self-discipline and firm resistance to temptation as tending to make virtue habitual, so that at length it may become more easy to be good than to give way to sin. Quote, As habits belonging to the body, he says, are produced by external acts, so habits of the mind are produced by the execution of inward practical purposes, that is, carrying them into act or acting upon them, the principles of obedience, veracity, justice, and charity. End quote. And again, Lord Brougham says, when enforcing the immense importance of training and example in youth, quote, I trust everything under God to habit, on which, in all ages, the lawgiver, as well as the schoolmaster, has mainly placed his reliance. Habit, which makes everything easy, and casts the difficulties upon the deviation from a wanted course. End quote. Thus, make sobriety a habit, and intemperance will be hateful. Make prudence a habit, and reckless profligy will become revolting to every principle of conduct which regulates the life of the individual. Hence the necessity for the greatest care and watchfulness against the inroad of any evil habit, for the character is always weakest at that point at which it has once given way, and it is long before a principle restored can become so firm as one that has never been moved. It is a fine remark of a Russian writer that, quote, Habits are a necklace of pearls. Untie the knot, and the whole unthreads. End quote. Wherever formed, habit acts involuntarily and without effort. And it is only when you oppose it that you find how powerful it has become. What is done once and again soon gives facility and proneness. The habit at first may seem to have no more strength than a spider's web, but, once formed, it binds as with a chain of iron. The small events of life, taken singly, may seem exceedingly unimportant, like snow that falls silently, flake by flake, and yet accumulated, these snowflakes form the avalanche. Self-respect, self-help, application, industry, integrity, all are of the nature of habits, not beliefs. 
Principles, in fact, are but the names which we assign to habits. For the principles are words, but the habits are the things themselves, benefactors or tyrants, according as they are good or evil. It thus happens that, as we grow older, a portion of our free activity and individuality becomes suspended in habit. Our actions become of the nature of fate, and we are bound by the chains which we have woven around ourselves. It is indeed scarcely possible to overestimate the importance of training the young to virtuous habits. In them they are the easiest formed, and when formed they last for life. Like letters cut on the bark of a tree, they grow and widen with age. Quote, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. End quote. The beginning holds within it the end. The first start on the road of life determines the direction and the destination of the journey. Ce n'est que la première pas qui coûte. Remember, said Lord Collingworth to a young man whom he loved, before you are five and twenty, you must establish a character that will serve you all your life. End quote. As habit strengthens with age, and character becomes formed, any turning into a new path becomes more and more difficult. Hence it is often harder to unlearn than to learn, and for this reason the Grecian flute-player was justified who charged double fees to those pupils who had been taught by an inferior master. To uproot an old habit is sometimes a more painful thing, and vastly more difficult, than to wrench out a tooth. Try and reform a habitually indolent or improvident or drunken person, and in a majority of cases you will fail. For the habit in each case has wound itself in and through the life until it has become an integral part of it and cannot be uprooted. Hence, as Mr. Lynch observes, quote, the wisest habit of all is the habit of care in the formation of good habits. End quote. Even happiness itself may become habitual. There is a habit of looking on the bright side of things and also of looking at the dark side. Dr. Johnson has said that the habit of looking at the best side of a thing is worth more to a man than a thousand pounds a year. And we possess the power, to a great extent, of so exercising the will as to direct the thoughts upon objects calculated to yield happiness and improvement rather than their opposites. In this way, the habit of happy thought may be made to spring up like any other habit and to bring up men or women with a genial nature of this sort a good temper and a happy frame of mind is perhaps of even more importance in many cases than to perfect them in much knowledge and many accomplishments as daylight can be seen through very small holes so little things will illustrate a person's character indeed character consists in little acts well and honorably performed daily life being the quarry from which we build it up, and rough-hew the habits which form it. One of the most marked tests of character is the manner in which we conduct ourselves towards others. A graceful behavior towards superiors, inferiors, and equals is a constant source of pleasure. It pleases others because it indicates respect for their personality, but it gives tenfold more pleasure to ourselves. Every man may, to a large extent, be a self-educator in good behavior as in everything else. He can be civil and kind, if he will, though he have not a penny in his purse. 
gentleness in society is like the silent influence of light which gives color to all nature it is far more powerful than loudness or force and far more fruitful it pushes its way quietly and persistently like the tiniest daffodil in spring which raises the clod and thrusts it aside by the simple persistency of growing even a kind look will give pleasure and confer happiness in one of robertson of brighton's letters he tells of a lady who related to him quote, the delight and the tears of gratitude which she had witnessed in a poor girl to whom in passing i gave a kind look on going out of church on sunday what a lesson how cheaply happiness can be given what opportunities we miss of doing an angel's work i remember doing it full of sad feelings passing on and thinking no more about it and it gave an hour's sunshine to a human's life and lightened the load of life to a human heart for a time morals and manners which give color to life are of much greater importance than laws which are but their manifestations the law touches us here and there but manners are about us everywhere pervading society like the air we breathe good manners as we call them are neither more nor less than good behavior consisting of courtesy and kindness benevolence being the prepondering element in all kinds of mutually beneficial and pleasant intercourse among human beings Quote, civility said lady montague costs nothing and buys everything the cheapest of all things is kindness its exercise requiring the least possible trouble and sacrifice Quote, win hearts said burley to queen elizabeth and you will have all men's hearts and purses if we would only let nature act kindly free from affectation and artifice the results on social good humor and happiness would be incalculable the little courtesies which form the small change of life may separately appear of little intrinsic value but they acquire their importance from repetition and accumulation they are like the spare minutes or the groat a day which proverbially produce such momentous results in the course of a twelvemonth or in a lifetime manners are the ornament of action and there is a way of speaking a kind word or of doing a kind thing which greatly enhances their value what seems to be done with a grudge or as an act of condescension is scarcely accepted as a favor yet there are men who pride themselves upon their gruffness and though they may possess virtue and capacity their manner is often such as to render them almost insupportable it is difficult to like a man who though he may not pull your nose habitually wounds your self-respect and takes a pride in saying disagreeable things to you there are others who are dreadfully condescending and cannot avoid seizing upon every small opportunity of making their greatness felt when abernathy was canvassing for the office of surgeon to st bartholomew hospital he called upon such a person a rich grocer one of the governors the great man behind the counter seeing the great surgeon enter immediately assumed the grand airs toward the supposed suppliant for his vote i presume sir you want my vote and interest at this momentous epoch in your life abernathy who hated humbugs and felt nettled at the tone replied no i don't 
I want a pennyworth of figs. Come, look sharp, and wrap them up. I want to be off. End quote. The cultivation of manner, though in excess it is foppish and foolish, is highly necessary in a person who has occasion to negotiate with others in matters of business. Affability and good breeding may even be regarded as essential to the success of a man in any eminent station and in large sphere of life, for the want of it has not infrequently been found in a great measure to neutralize the results of much industry, integrity, and honesty of character. There are, no doubt, a few strong tolerant minds which can bear with defects and angularities of manner, and look only to the more genuine qualities. But the world at large is not so forbearant, and cannot help forming its judgments and likings mainly according to outward conduct. Another mode of displaying true politeness is consideration for the opinions of others. It has been said of dogmatism that it is only puppyism come to its full growth, and certainly the worst form this quality can assume is that of opinionativeness and arrogance. Let men agree to differ, and when they do differ, bear and forbear. Principles and opinions may be maintained with perfect suavity, without coming to blows or uttering harsh words, and there are circumstances in which words are blows, and inflict wounds far less easy to heal. As bearing upon this point, we quote an instructive little parable spoken some time since by an itinerant preacher of the Evangelical Alliance on the Borders of Wales. Quote, as I was going to see the hills, said he, early one misty morning, I saw something moving on the mountainside, so strange-looking that I took it for a monster. When I came near to it, I found it was a man. When I came up to him, I found it was my brother. End quote. The inbred politeness which springs from right-heartedness and kindly feelings is of no exclusive rank or station. The mechanic who works at the bench may possess it, as well as the clergyman or the peer. It is by no means a necessary condition of labor that it should, in any respect, be either rough or coarse. The politeness and refinement which distinguish all classes of the people in many continental countries show that those qualities might become ours, too, as doubtless they will become with increased culture and more general social intercourse, without sacrificing any of our more genuine qualities as men. From the highest to the lowest, the richest to the poorest, to no rank or condition in life, as nature denied her highest boon, the great heart. There never existed a gentleman, but was a lord of a great heart, and this may exhibit itself under the hodden gray of the peasant, as well as under the laced coat of the noble. Robert Burns was once taken to task by young Edinburgh Blood, with whom he was walking, for recognizing an honest farmer in the open street. Quote, why you fantastic gomerel exclaimed burns it was not the great coat the scone bonnet and the saunders boot hose that i spoke to but the man that was in them and the man sir for true worth would weigh down you and me and ten more such any day there may be a homeliness in externals which may seem vulgar to those who cannot discern the heart beneath but to the right-minded character will always have its clear insignia. End of section 34